on October 25th, we're coming back to Melbourne for our first physical MLOps event. Whether you are just starting in the MLOps journey, improving in that space, or whether you have thousands of models in production, this event is for you. The type of things we're going to cover is MLOps for scale. And that scale can be number of models or the number of people in the team or the number of prediction and inferences that need to be made in an hour or a minute or a second. So how to create effective MLOps for all those scenarios. We're gonna cover MLOps processes and team structures. How do we organize ourselves and the talent that we have in our organizations for better results in MLOps. We're gonna be looking at creating efficient and effective MLOps pipelines in an end-to-end. -end. What does the data look like, the feature stores, all the way to the model deployment, serving, monitoring, alerting, etc. We're also going to cover getting a C-level buy-in and support for the investment in this area. We're going to be covering what governance and good management looks like in this space. So wherever you are in your journey, the MLOps event in Melbourne on October 25th is going to help you increase the maturity of MLOps in your organization. I hope you can join us. See you then. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project-focused data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for joining our live webinar, first live webinar that we've had in a while. I always love doing these because of the audience interaction, the questions, uh, and uh, that definitely takes the discussion in the, in the parts that, that you want, essentially, that you want to hear the most about. Uh, today, it's all about MLOps, how to do MLOps with AWS SageMaker, obviously a super popular tool. It's made, uh, it started off awesome and it's made leaps and bounds over the last few years. So today to cover MLOps in AWS SageMaker, we are very fortunate uh, to have Romina Sharifpour. She's a senior AI and ML specialist solution architect at AWS. I was telling Romina before, uh, known her for, for a long time. I've seen her present before. She's always great. So I know that we're in, uh, in store for something super, super exciting today. And please forward all your questions about MLOps and SageMaker into that Q&A function. Romina, welcome. How are you going today? Thank you so much, Felipe. I'm very well. Thank you. How are you? Ah, so good. So excited. Um, and excited to jump into the, into the topic. I'm seeing a lot of... Um, poll answers coming in actually. So we have, um, I wanna say about 75% of people have answered the poll, which is excellent. And we're gonna leave it open for another couple of minutes. And what we're going to do is um, jump into the presentation. So we've got a presentation from Romina first, which is gonna be about 20, 25 minutes. Um, during the presentation, 
come in with your questions on MLOps and anything she's covering. Um, and I might interject with any, with any relevant questions and then we'll leave any others to, um, to the after the presentation. And uh, that'll be sort of Q&A from there on so we can cover the topics that uh, you are most interested in, um, which would be great. So uh, Romina, if you can kick us off with the, uh, with the presentation, please. Okay, so welcome everyone and great to see you all today. Um, um, Felipe introduced me. I'm Romina Sharifur. I'm an AIML Specialist Solution Architect at AWS. And today the topic is about MLOps. So I'd like to start by talking a little bit about the status of MLOps we see nowadays, the challenges that uh, generally we, we identify with MLOps. And from there, we will move on to tell you a little bit about Amazon SageMaker offering when it comes to MLOps. And I'd love to share uh, um, car sales story with you today. So um, Husnan one is a head of AIML, which I'd like to acknowledge him today as he wasn't able to join, but he's kindly has given me uh, the permission and some of the um, slides that I can share with you uh, to see what, what car sales is doing in the space. From there, I'd like to share a little bit on the key, uh, key areas of success that I think um, help everyone and every organizations to successfully start looking in impl implementing MLOps. So if we're already, let's get started. Um, so a little bit on the status of MLOps. One of the surveys uh, conducted by Algorithm back in uh, 2021, which is fairly fresh, indicated that um, most organizations have a long journey before they can uh, deploy models into production. Only 11% can put a model into production within a week. 64% um, that form the majority, they take a month or longer. It makes you think what makes machine learning deployment so different compared to software engineering, where some organizations have become so adept in it that they virtually send software within like just a few minutes. So one of the biggest um, challenges I would say is there's been so much emphasis um, within the past few years on the ML code itself, like that machine learning algorithm. However, as you can see on the slide, and it was also discussed extensively by one of the really famous papers um, by Escoli et al. from Google back in 2015, the ML code is just really a small fraction of any machine learning systems. Around this ML code is infrastructure and, and sophisticated engineering uh, processes that can really be complex and you need extensive engineering effort to make this just work and make it to be efficient sort of end-to-end -end process. There are other challenges unique to MLOps as well. One of them being the independency of data and code. In software engineering, we don't really deal with data. With machine learning, we have to constantly also think about um, creating the automated pipeline for our data engineering and also make sure that, that, that our data quality is maintained. Within MLOps, um, we, will, we also deal with 
different personals. We have data engineers, we have data scientists, machine learning engineers, DevOps engineers. And a lot of the time, these teams um, sit in silos. They do not really work efficiently together often adds quite a lot about the complexity within the MLOps, who owns what part of this end-to-end process. Other challenges is about experimentation and iterations, which is inherent in the machine learning um, work. And um, with that comes a lot of complexity around version control, tracking, and automation. With regards to um, the data and the model, we constantly have to ensure um, that uh, the quality of the model and data are kept well. And we can put, of course, some automated tests uh, to help us monitor some of that, that work. But a lot of the time now, we also hear a lot about the bias. We hear about whether our models are fair. So you start thinking about bias detection, whether your model is fair. And a lot of the time beyond that, you need to involve the human in that loop. Finally, you go about a performant and a scalable, a scalable way to um, deploy your model into production, which unfortunately is not the end of that process. You start thinking about how can I monitor that model into production? How can I capture the data or concept rate? So as you can see, there's actually a lot into that sort of MLOps process. And it is a complex area. There's a lot happening and there are different views on how MLOps should look like. So under this slide, I'm also sharing one of the recent work just published recently, 2022, uh, by Kuzerberg et al., um, which uh, they have actually done a very rich literature review. They've done also um, a lot of uh, review of the existing tools, um, as well as conducting a lot of expert interviews to sort of bring together this picture, make it a little bit clearer that what is actually MLOps, what is involved in MLOps. And working backward from the principles, they've come up with a number of components, which more or less, I think, a lot of us can agree that these are necessary components. Some of it you might not agree, essentially, but they are the components that are often seen within the MLOps space. And also on the right-hand side, you can see the different roles and how these roles interact and overlap within an MLOps system. So like you see, it is complex and most likely you have the thought of, okay, that's right. One way of doing this will not work for everybody and you know, every organization. So I'd like to continue to talk a little bit about after this introduction, um, what, um, what Amazon SageMaker offers when it comes to MLOps. So Amazon SageMaker Pipeline um, is a tool that, um, uh, which is purpose-built and easy to use um, for continuous integration and continuous delivery for machine learning. SageMaker Pipeline, um, in a broad sense, consists of three components. So the first um, is the pipeline components. That pretty much helps you to create automated workflows easily for various machine learning steps. The second component is the model registry. It's a tool that helps you to manage various models and their version. 
And the third one is the SageMaker project that allows you to incorporate the CI-CD practices when we design those machine learning workflows. So I touch on any of these components one by one in a little more detail. So the pipeline component basically allows us to build and create automated workflows using SageMaker Python SDK. The focus is really on orchestrating the task um, for machine learning model building activities. And typically we see these as steps to be, you know, data preparations, model training, tuning, evaluation, and also potentially registering that model into a model registry if the model is satisfactory. So the second component, um, it's a model registry. And think about many of you might have actually hundreds of different workflows with different versions of those models. So you actually need a mechanism to help you keep track of all these models, their version, and their status. So SageMaker Model Registry is a managed tool that helps you centrally manage model metadata for different model versions. Now, the projects. So the final component is SageMaker projects that helps you incorporate the CI-CD practices. And by that, I mean automated triggers, source and version controls, that they're some of the really core principle, principles of CI-CD. And if you go to your SageMaker studio to create a projects, you see that there are a number of pre-built um, templates available and you find them to be for most common learning machine learning workflows. For example, one of the templates is only for model building. One of the templates is for model building, registering the model and deploying the model. You found some of those templates also to integrate with the third party tools and that such as, for example, GitHub or Jenkins, uh, and that gives flexibility to customers who might not actually use SageMaker end to end. So you might be wondering what are these actually projects? So these projects are basically um, CloudFormation templates that um, are uh, created as a product within a portfolio inside AWS service catalog. You can think of them as um, a cloud formation or configuration and resources as code that pretty much helps you deploy this entire CI-CD sort of end-to-end -end without actually the data scientists wanting to go and create it themselves. So this is, to make it a little bit clearer, this is an example of one of the projects. And as you can see, um, uh, this project has two pipelines. So you can see on the left-hand side, we do have the model build pipeline. And on the right-hand side, we do have deployment pipeline. And I talked about the SageMaker pipeline as creating you know, that pipeline component or the workflow which sits here and you can see all of our machine learning sort of steps inside it. And you do have the model registry that you uh, register the model after the workflow is completed. Um, and that if someone goes and approve that model, that creates a trigger which can start your deployment pipeline. So you can see the automation, you can see also the automated triggers. 
The other thing which stands out is that under hood of these projects, um, there are CICD tools that enable these projects to actually work. All those resources that I mentioned uh, get deployed as a CloudFormation template, as a configuration and resources as code. For example, you do have the source code, AWS's code commit that maintains all the code, the validated code for your machine learning pipeline, you have the code build, which goes to compile the code and builds this pipeline for you. You have the code pipeline as an orchestrator between the source code all the way uh, to the build and deployment. You can see, again, the uh, developer tools uh, also reflected in the deployment stage. And um, when you look at this, perhaps the one of the one of the areas that you think about is that, okay, under the hood, there are developer tools. What does that mean? It means you do actually have the flexibility not to run this project inside the SageMaker. If you do have those personas, for example, machine learning engineers who want to have the ownership, they can pretty much build this and control this within an account, not inside the SageMaker Studio. But SageMaker Studio gives you the leverage of the data scientists to be able to launch all these resources without actually themselves wanting to create it, which can be, you know, the infrastructure side, can be the area which is generally not familiar for the data scientists. And like I mentioned, um, MLOps can actually be a lot more sophisticated and a lot more complex, depending on where organizations are on mature, maturity curve. Uh, but I suppose from a design perspective, um, you want to be able to create more complex orchestration um, and um, add components that are required for some of the projects. For example, here, as you can see, we do have an automated feature engineering pipeline. We do have a feature stores, which those features get fed into the feature store. You also see that we do have clarify jobs that SageMaker Clarify helps you to detect bias. You can also see that we have the model monitoring um, enabled and the data capture for that model monitoring um, so that if the uh, data drift happens, it will uh, generate an alert, a CloudWatch alert, and it can be also a trigger to retrain your build pipeline. So you can see you can go ahead and build a lot more complex you know, orchestrations and pipelines because you do have that full visibility and flexibility by putting these components sort of together and workflows in a way that works for that specific project. One other um, area that I think it's very important to allow you to successfully scale MLOps is really about um, enabling various personas with different skill set um, and try to remove those blockers um, from their way when they actually want to work together most effectively. And uh, this can be in, in form of really removing that complex, unfamiliar DevOps part from a data science you know, plate and in turn letting ML engineers are taking care of you know, the infrastructure um, in that. Um, for example, you can find multiple personas and roles attached to those personas. So um, 
you, uh, and um, for example, you can create uh, machine learning engineers uh, assigned to your machine learning engineers who are responsible for provisioning um, the project templates and all the CI/CD resources. Data scientist role can be your data scientist who um, are in charge of creating the machine learning pipeline that pretty much ends uh, with a trained model registered to the model group. That will trigger and run the deployment pipeline without your data scientist wanting to do anything about it because it's automated. And that's why perhaps makes these you know, transitions a lot more smoother between the team. You can also think of having you know, an approval role such as the late data scientist who has more access and more control over different environment. For example, he can go, they can go and have a look to um, approve the model from the model registry, which kicks the deployment pipeline or within the UAT account or from a staging account, they can manually approve that model to go to the production. So as you can see, um, you can try to bring these teams together closer by utilizing the automations and um, the tool that can work for everybody. So um, the next section I want to talk about um, a little bit on how car sales actually is using Amazon SageMaker uh, to scale AI in their organization. So a little bit about car sales. I think we are all familiar with car sales, but um, they own a portal which facilitates buying and selling of cars for, 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 private, uh, for private as well as um, dealers. Um, and uh, they have around 160K Australian cars with 3000 cars roughly coming every day. Um, apart from cars, they also have bikes, boats, trucks, caravans, and they also have presence in USA, South America, as well as South Korea. Car sales um, has been building and productionizing AI techs for many years. And they do actually have a lot of AI models, such as automatic ad approval, recommendations, and so on and so forth. But to just give you a little bit sense of the scale, um, a lot of their AI models can process millions of photos daily in real time. So, with the, uh, with the car sales back in 2016, all the end-to-end -end workflow from experimentation all the way to, to end of the production, pro production was actually performed with the AI team. And it was consumed then by the developers. But as you can imagine, that can be a bottleneck because AI team is a small and there's just much that a small team can do for the entire organization. So back, um, further in 2018, there was a data science team that was added that they started to take care of the experimentation. But a steel productionization was performed by the AI team. A steel, you will be limited with regards to you know, which of those experimentation can get productionized and use case because of lack of resources, not enough resources that might be out there. So moving into 2022 and the new strategies, particularly around the democratization of the data science and ML engineering skills within car sales, 
every developer can actually go through this end-to-end process themselves without needing data scientists or the AIT. The other workflow is also having the developers to pair with data scientists for the more sophisticated machine learning problems. So let's see actually how that works. So from an architecture perspective, um, car sales um, uh, uh, call this CIA, is the Car Sales Intelligence Academy, which consists of um, two components. One component is the orchestration layer, which is built using Metaflow uh, that allows uh, to build continuous model training pipeline. And um, you can actually uh, use any orchestration tool, and I see customers use different ones. Sometimes they use Airflow, sometimes it might be a step function, but like I mentioned, you can use SageMaker pipeline as well um, that I talked to earlier. So Metaflow is similar to that in that sense, is orchestration tool for your mach machine learning steps. Um, and the continuous training pipeline uh, pushes the model into the uh, deployment module, then, uh, then can deploy the models for inference. So the continuous model training um, is really just a Python script that you pass on. So it's really up to you how you're going to build a model, um, whether you want to use TensorFlow, whether you want to use Scikit-Learn or PyTorch, you just need that script. And car sales using SageMaker built-in algorithm um, that is collection of um, you know, algorithms that solve for very common machine learning use cases, such as image classification, XGBoost, sequence-to-sequence model. Um, they actually democratize the data science skill for the developers. Working with these algorithms are very easy. You don't really need extensive machine learning knowledge. You can just write a few lines of code and get these models to work. So that gives ability to the developers to actually build the models themselves. So um, uh, that's where the democratization of data science skills become available to everyone in the organization. And um, a lot of the time, 70% of ML problems can usually be solved in one of, with one of these inbuilt algorithms. And the rest 30% that require the custom build models, that's the time the data scientist will step in. And for them is a, a trifecta win-win um, situation because data scientists love to solve the hard challenges, not the generic one. The um, developers get to actually learn and do machine learning. And um, business also scales the production of this AI system very cost effectively. So that's about how they've gone about democratizing the data science skill within car sales. And then focusing a little bit on the deployment side. So deployment happens on Amazon SageMaker. And Carcel realized that they actually need flexible deployment, and it actually is very helpful to have a flexible deployment option. And that's what SageMaker could provide in a sense that um, you can deploy models um, into real-time uh, endpoints with one line of code, really, dot deploy. And that helps any developer without being a machine learning engineer to be also able 
to ship their models into production. And that is about also, you know, the, uh, the uh, flexible um, inference option as well as democratization of uh, machine learning engineer, uh, engineering within car cells. The other aspect um, is about um, when you actually open to everybody um, to build their own models, there will be a new challenge happening there. So how do you avoid one team going and build a model that other team have already built it? How do you actually maintain that traceability and visibility of what's been built, what's been deployed? And that's where cost sales use SageMaker model registry to, uh, and they have a central model registry which maintains the registry of all the models and their version. And before someone go and build the model, they can go and search and see whether a similar model or the model have been built or not. So that's how they also utilizing the SageMaker model registry for, um, for cataloging their models across the organizations and teams. So sort of to wrap up with the car sales story, um, this is how they could overcome some of the challenges to scale up their MLR, uh, their, their, their AI costs really, uh, their, their AI um, really cost effectively. Um, and there's still a lot that is happening um, with the team um, in this space, but they are already seeing some benefits out of this. So um, recently, um, one of the development team with really zero data science and machine learning engineering skill, uh, built and deployed um, an image classification model in just five days with CIA. Without the CIA, it would take a team of machine learning engineers as well as data scientists, which they have the knowledge and expertise, two weeks to complete the same task. And this is just the beginning of the journey for car sales. And I'm really looking forward to see a lot of more um, great stuff um, that uh, the team are doing. And I'm really looking forward to see more of that as we move on. So that was also the story that, um, again, Goose wasn't able to be here. I hope I did it justice <laughs> telling about their story, but um, uh, I just want to wrap up with uh, some of my observations and some of the ideas that I think um, they are key for being so successful with starting your MLOps. So first of all, um, building MLOps is a journey. And it also is really about culture and technology working together. So build a culture that allows you to, continuous, um, to continuously nurturing and developing over time. Start small and then build on top of that to create more complex workflows and processes. Identify goals and strategies really early on. Component of MLOps that are important to you, the roles, the skill sets that you've got in-house, we know nowadays that there's quite a lack of expert skills in some of the roles you know, we visited before. So think about how you can actually work around all those limitations that you've got um, before going and doing something and then realizing that you do not have the resources to actually do it or implement it. Um, there's also a need uh, for a cultural shift away from this model-centric machine learning and we actually hear quite a lot about 
practice nowadays, we hear about, you know, data-centric AI. So it's a little bit of a shift in a way that different themes think about machine learning and how machine learning can actually be deployed. Every organization, um, I think most of organizations, they have already some processes and some tools um, with regards to DevOps practices as well as you know, orchestrations. So early on, start investigating all those areas, all those tools, all those practices, and see how you can integrate with those. That's always helpful. In, in a sense that um, you will have lots of also buy-ins from the people who already are familiar with those tools or using those tools. There is no one valid approach to MLOps um, that everyone agrees to. We all have our different views and that's entirely fine. And I think it's valid because um, an MLOps architecture that might work very well for enterprises, might not actually be something um, very good for a small team or maybe a medium-sized team um, with multi-account sort of a strategy. They might have also a different um, requirements with regards to those accounts. So think about what your requirements are again and build around those um, with regards to what MLOps will have to look like for you. One other um, area which, again, open to debate is that um, model deployment and experimentation is not really part of the MLOps. So I would suggest to create an account, let your data scientists to experiment, to develop models. Once out of all those experimentations, you have a validated model, that's the one you want to put into your automated workflow and build CI-CD around that. You can think how overwhelming it can be that every single experimentation that data scientists do without it being really useful or in, in any way, if you want to start from that beginning, keeping track of all those, you can start thinking how overwhelming and complex can be. So I would definitely suggest try to um, separate out the experimentation as well as model development from your MLOps. Let MLOps start with the code, the seed code of that validated model that can be automated in your CI/CD. And finally, um, try to scale MLOps practices across your team as much as you can by using automation, manage orchestration that helps removing those heavy lifting. And also, once you have you know, less management work to do, you will see your teams to be able to work more closely together. So try to bridge those gaps as much as you can. So that's all for me. Thank you so much. Romina, that was excellent. Thank you so much. Um, what we'll do now is we'll re review the, um, the poll results. Um, I'll get your thoughts on those answers. So I'll close the poll now, and then we'll go into the audience questions, which we have uh, heaps on, which is great. Uh, the, the engagement has been um, incredible. People are super interested in this topic. So let me share with everyone the poll results. They should be popping up on your screen. So first question was, how long does it take your team or organization to put a model into production? We can see the split there with 44% of people saying longer than a month, and then 24% of people saying about a month, and then it starts to decrease 
14% of people said a week, actually, which is very nice. Any thoughts on that distribution, Romina? I'm thinking some of it is actually similar to the very mm. primary stats I shared. So, which is great that like in Australia, great. we're seeing similar exactly. development. Exactly. And I think I'm actually very happy to think that, you know, percentages within a day and a week, that means the needle is really moving. Mm. It's moved. And I think that's what we want to see. So it's amazing. It's good. It's right. Good yes. We asked a similar question in a webinar about two years ago. And um, the distribution was much more skewed towards a longer time frame, as you can yeah. expect. So yeah. it's excellent. Um, we're getting some nice messages of people saying that they really enjoyed your presentation. So Carrie says, thank you for the awesome presentation. It was super informative and useful. And Jason says, really enjoyed your insights around keys to success as well. Thanks, guys. Um, question two was, which stage do you find the most difficult part of MLOps? This was a multiple choice. So we have the data quality as the leading one with 44%. And then there is model monitoring with 38%. Very interesting. And then there's a couple at 30%. Any reactions to that spread, Romina? Yeah. So a lot of the time, some of the discussions I have, and I talked a couple of examples on that, the data access can be a tricking one for the machine learning. Um, and a lot of the time um, within organization, you do have multiple accounts. So you have development account, you have a staging account and production account. A lot of the time, the real data, the actual data sits inside production account. So a lot of the time I found myself having this conversation with the customers that allowing data to go from production account to the development account for the data scientists to actually sit, experiment and develop models can be a really, really sensitive area, can be a very tricky area, especially depending on the type of organizations and the type of data they actually work with. So that I think can be a very, um, deep area in a sense that a lot of the time you need to start by educating a lot of the stakeholders in a sense that if you provide synthetic data, if you provide just a small sample of the data, data scientists cannot work. This is not really the best recipe for building machine learning models because and, and a lot of the time, if that happens, um, the customers end up having two pipelines, pretty much. One that runs within that development account and it's purely a functional pipeline. It's not a well-validated model because it's not using the actual data. It's just using the synthetic or just a part of the data. And then the other pipeline that is the actual one and feeds with the actual data sits within the production account. That can be tricky in sense of how do you provide access to these data scientists because they need that data. So I think a lot of the time um, in those areas, you start by actually educating some of the internal stakeholders on um, provide you know data to, um, to to data scientists. However, you can have all the guardrails that you need in sense of how to secure that data, maybe categorizing that data based on the sensitivity level, provide just read access or a replicate of the data. So those are all the discussions that can be quite deep within organizations a lot of the time. But at the same time, I think the key to successfully build machine learning models is actually working with real data. Yeah, definitely the case. And we had a related question from Charles, actually, um, that he says, um, handling personally identifiable information, so PII, mm -hmm. 
and uh, personal health information, so PHI. Um, To handle those, um, you generally need VPC endpoints uh, in every component of the pipeline. Um, He was asking essentially how that works in AWS, uh, if you have any suggestions on how that can be done or if there's an alternative like de-identifying the information about having it still similar between dev and, and prod. Absolutely. So the good practice is when it comes to machine learning, regardless whether it's on AWS or anywhere else, you have to anonymize your data before using it for the model. So that's number one rule. And we definitely, I definitely recommend that. Anonymize your data. That's number one. When further down, then you need to have tools with regards to the data encryption. Data encryption at rest and in transit. Those are the tools that AWS is provide within the machine learning, within the SageMaker. You can always encrypt your data on your S3 bucket or where you actually, uh, where your data is in transit. Further down, um, the VPC endpoint. Exactly, no worries. Um, Within SageMaker, the good practice is that SageMaker um, Studio has to be launched within a VPC, within a private network that doesn't allow your data to traverse in the public internet and then comes back again to your account. So that is enabled with you know, the VPC configurations that you're able to do. And um, when we run jobs in, in the SageMaker, we run them in those remote instances and using the tools again, like Elastic Internet Network, you can, uh, you can add those configurations to whatever jobs you run and ensuring the security of the training as well as um, deployed jobs uh, within the SageMaker um, environment. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, the, we'll wrap up the, the poll question. So the last one was uh, question three. Have you incorporated CICD practices into your ML workflow? So the distribution is pretty evenly spread. So um, 30% said not yet, but planning on it and getting close. And then we had 27% with no, we haven't incorporated CICD practices into our ML workflow. And then 24% with yes in pockets of the business and almost 20% with yes, we have. Any thoughts from your side, Romina, on this split? It's quite a fair spread. Um, so 19% says they have, yeah, I think a lot of the time, actually, organization might have something in place. Um, you find actually different challenges. So I saw model monitoring being one of the significant one, and that is true. Yeah. Uh, model monitoring, um, if it's done manually, it can be a very difficult task in, in terms of setup and in terms of, you know, how it should be implemented. So uh, so to that, for example, um, if there are some tools that can make that easy for you, that's something definitely you have to consider. Um, and by you know, CICD, sometimes those pipelines might be just a um, very simple pipelines. But when you start thinking about more complex workflows, I think that's the time you start also identifying new challenges, how I'm going to ensure, um, you know, of the bias that is captured in the data and the model, model monitoring being one of the really big ones that we hear a lot about. And if you're interested, you can definitely explore SageMaker model monitor that actually makes that quite um, um, a lot easier. And um, we, uh, we um, and, and also, um, if you want to, feature store is another one that we actually hear about. It's a good addition 
to the entire uh, machine learning workflow. So a lot of the time, once you start expanding a little bit, you might find you know challenges um, you know along the way. But I think it's really good to see that um, there is actually workflows and CI/CDs within many organizations. So I think it's really positive to see how they can build on that, expand that, and um, being really flexible in terms of how those workflows are designed. Yeah, definitely right. I'll um I'll stop sharing the polls now, so we'll close that and we'll jump into the the audience questions. And uh, related to what you were saying just then, it was it was um you know impressive to see that in SageMaker you can do uh, the feature ingestion and the feature store. You can do the model building and retraining. Then you can do the model serving, monitoring the the whole um end to end. So that's really great. And we had some questions related to that. Um. One of them, which I thought was interesting, came from Greg, and he asked, um, what does the SageMaker support look like for non-technical business owners to um, be involved in the process and help govern? Uh, yeah. And this can be at a model level or a data level. Um, yeah. what, what does that uh, look yeah. like in SageMaker? Yeah, awesome. That's actually a very good question. Mm -hmm. um, so... And I like it because I really like to hear about empowering anybody in organization to get hands-on with the you know, machine learning work. Um, so on that, SageMaker has recently launched uh, SageMaker Canvas, which is a fully no-code environment um, for any personas who want to validate their use cases, but they don't want to code. Sometimes even I'm a data scientist, but I feel like no code. I just don't want to code because I want to do something really fast. So SageMaker Canvas is a no code offering um, which sits in a separate IDE as the SageMaker Studio. Um, and you just use the point and click to get in your data and then um, pretty much um, uh, build a model, validate your idea, make prediction of it, do what if sort of scenarios. And if you think that model is um, valid, if you see values, then I think the great thing is about it, you can just share that model with one click into SageMaker Studio. That's where you can start collaborating with the data scientist. So data scientists can go and see that model. And then you can discuss whether you want to improve that model, you want to tweak it, what do you want to do moving forward? You want to take it to production and then plan on top of that. But important is that any persona is able to validate their ideas rather than wanting to be blocked by a data science team, which they have lack of resources, they can start experimenting and trying their ideas. With regards to the governance and with regards to the visibility, especially for the stakeholders, especially for some of the audits and com compliances, um, there are also tools available, capabilities available inside SageMaker. So I mentioned about SageMaker Clarify, which is a, a tool that helps you to detect bias and also explain the behavior of the models. When you use these, um, it generates actually very nice reports for you, like PDF reports, and explains all those scientific, you know, bias metrics that some of them might be really um, um, interpretable and useful in your case in, with examples that you can directly share those reports with the people are doing the governance jobs, who are in con uh, compliances or audits, and they can read them and they can understand. 
they don't get exposed to the code really because they don't want most likely, but they see the report generated out of those uh, that they are actually very nice, I think, um, way of sharing what was found when we did this bias analysis, what areas need action or otherwise is just good. We can go ahead with that. So a lot of the um, capabilities that require other people to look into, such as, you know, audit, for example, they generally generate a report for you that you can actually share with the relevant um, stakeholders, and it's easy for them to understand as well. Super powerful. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, also related to, to Greg's question and, and related to a comment we just had from this year, um, the, common, like, the common thread there is... Um, around becoming more data centric. Um, yes. So there was something that you mentioned towards the end. I thought uh, maybe it'd be good to um, to circle back on that one. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the, of, you know, the kind of like expansion of, of um, AI from uh, model centric to, to data centric um, yes. as, as a next evolution. Um, so the link from Greg's question was, um, when people are involved in the governance aspect, could they see, for example, SHAP values of the, the data set, uh, the, the data points to identify uh, labels that could be improved or anything like that? And then the link to uh, Licia's uh, question is uh, whether you can expand on, on data centric uh, and the shift that's happening there. Absolutely. So with regards to the SHAP value, um, SageMaker clarify, um, uh, is empowered actually uses SHAP value, um, optimize SHAP value for explanations of the model behavior. And you can do that at global level, as well as you can also extract in individual cases. So the report, the generic one for the uh, explanations of the model behavior, um, that PDF report that I mentioned actually gives you the SHAP values uh, with all the contributing factors and the rela relative importance with regards to that response variable. Um, and if you feel like you want to dig into some specific cases, you can use the APIs to also generate uh, the SHAP values for that specific cases. But under the hood, absolutely, it uses the SHAP values um, for, for the explanations of the model behavior. With the bias metrics, the scientific papers are actually available online, so you can actually have a good read about them. Um, there is extensive lists of, list of metrics that some of them um, are really thought provoking in a sense that a lot of the time <laughs> detecting bias, it can it can be a very challenging work, right? So I think, but when you read the examples, um, you can identify which of those metrics can be really useful um, in your given scenarios, in your given case as well. With regards to the um, data centric, so um, back in time, uh, like, I, like I said, and perhaps when even I was really hands-on data scientist, there was lots of emphasis with regards to the model. And we tried to improve the model pretty much with the same data, but with optimizations, whatever way that you could think of the hyperparameter optimizations to get that model to perform better and better. And a lot of the time, feature engineering, for example, being another one. But the major improvements that you get is really it. But with the data centric approach, the emphasis moves from the model into actually providing and feeding constantly more data to this model. Try to improve the model, not with 
changing the algorithm essentially and getting the algorithm to just do better magically. But when you start feeding more and more data to the model, improving the quality of the data constantly and that feedback loop, that's where it's a paradigm of you know, data-centric um, approach to machine learning. So shift the emphasis on building these automated um, workflows that can provide that data constantly to your model so your model can improve with the new data that feeds to it rather than just the algorithm itself. Awesome. That is a yeah, fantastic explanation um, of, of um, data centric. Uh, thank you for that. We had a we had a couple of questions on visualization um, within SageMaker, and we had one um, really interesting from Elma, where she was asking whether in SageMaker you can get visualization to understand and compare the the model performance. And, mm -hmm. and essentially how, yeah, the, a bit of the inner workings and how, how they're performing. Yeah, so with model performance, I can think of a few different things um, because model performance can also apply in different stages. Um, with regards to when you train a model, especially very complex models, deep learning models. So a lot of the time, the performance of that training run can relate to the infrastructure that can be actually a tricky component within that MLOps that I showed you and based on the paper, because when the model changes, the underlying infrastructure, how does it have to understand that I need more GPU or I need more CPU? So with regards to that, uh, the training performance in sense of to ensure that, for example, that deep learning model is converging well, the um, gradients are not vanishing or they're not exploding or the resource utilization from infrastructure point of view, we do have SageMaker debugger. So SageMaker debugger helps you to debug the training runs in a sense that you make sure to capture bottlenecks with regards to the infrastructure, CPU, GPU, memory usage, and so on and so forth, but also debug the training runs um, with regards to the model that you're building. A simple model such as XGBoost, you want to see that the cost function is, for example, decreasing. With the deep learning models, you want to look at um, the gradients to make sure you know, they're not vanishing or they're not exploring and so on and so forth. There might be different rules that you can use the SageMaker debugger for. That's with the performance within the training. The performance of a model that is in production that's a different story. And there are multiple areas which we can go really deep into them, but in interest of time. One is about from a latency point of view, how the model is performing in production. And there are also tools available like auto scaling to make sure the model can handle the traffic that goes to it. From the quality of the model, model monitor can help you to capture percentages of the data or all of it if you like and compare it to the ground truth labels that you define as a baseline job. And you can have a trigger issued for you via the CloudWatch um, that says your model accuracy is dropping based on the ground truth that you've showed me and based on the model new predictions that is actually generating. So as you can see, there is lots of considerations, but depending on where the focus is, we can definitely think about architecting a resilient um, and a solution that helps you uh, um, be optimized. Awesome, 
Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know we are um, almost out of time, which is crazy. We've covered so much ground and there's a lot of uh, unanswered questions or, or outstanding questions that we have from the audience. So what we're going to um, what we're going to do is we're going to continue the conversation in our Slack community. Um, so I've just post, posted the, the link to the Slack community on, um, on the Zoom chat. Please join the community if you haven't done so yet. There's about 250 people in the community already. Um, so hopefully we'll get a few more after this session. And we'll ask Romina to join the community as well. And what we're going to do is post the questions uh, in each question in an individual message. And we can continue the, the conversation in the, uh, in the thread of Slack. Um, so that way we don't miss out on any questions or answers. Uh, we don't miss out on any, any of the goods. And they, uh, some of the remaining questions are looking at um, reproducibility and tracking the full lineage of uh, the model, including the data. Uh, we'll have questions around Bayesian packages. Uh, we have questions around uh, data quality, integrating that into MLOps. A um, couple more on, um, on the visualization side, questions around experimentation, etc. So we'll put them all in the Slack community. I hope to see everyone there so we can um, continue to share the knowledge and get everyone's um, questions answered, which is, which is what we're here for. So with that, I want Romina... Thank you so much. We're getting so many great messages about how much people enjoyed your presentation and your answers. Um, they're saying really informative presentation. Love the discussion. And um, Jason said, didn't know much about AWS SageMaker, but I do now. Uh, people are saying great event, great session. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much, Romina. Thanks everyone who joined. Um, and thank you uh, for coming today. Thanks for making the time. I hope that you come back soon. Great to see you all as well. Thanks, Felipe, for organizing and having me. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. I'll see you all soon. Thanks for watching this video all the way to the end. I hope that you got a lot out of this discussion. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the channel um, so more people can find out about the challenges that leaders have in the analytics and AI space. And that's what we're trying to share in Data Futurology. Uh, so please like and subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, please tell your friends. Thank you so much.